Wesson Walker. One more final hour. Josh Fitty Marlowe filling in for Wes Bryant, who is at the ACC Women's Tip-Off event happening at the Hilton Uptown. You can text in with your thoughts and comments at 704-570-9610. Again, that number is 704-570-9610. You know, I've been fighting to make it the Wes and Walker with Fitty Show, and mm-hmm. it's been denied more than me on dating apps. By the way, not by me, not by Wes. No. But I guess the authorities didn't like that. But with the way the last couple weeks have gone, where you've been at weddings, Wes is, you know, dodging the show after his Vikings lose. His the, 49ers lose to the Vikings. Oh, yeah. Just that, to yeah, be clear. His 49ers lost to the Vikings. The one constant has been me. <laughs> and I think it is making a better argument to put my name on the show. So, Jeff, Ricky, if you're listening, I'm not asking for a lot. Just make it the Wes and Walker and Fitty show. Just the title of the show. Yeah. That's all you're asking for. I mean, am I overstepping my bounds? I don't think so. Well, you didn't bring this up in the meeting yesterday. I will say that. Did you know that you were going to be turned down if that was the case? <laughs> and you thought going to the airwaves was the way to handle it. <laughs> you really want to make change. You go public before you go private. That's what a boss respects. <laughs> Time now for the Live Wire with Fitty. I think you have your next pitch, though, next time you talk to Jeff about the title. Jackson writes in a great suggestion. We'd be the WWF Sports Radio Show. <laughs> That'd be very good. Wesley very Walker easy. City. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I don't know if we're legally allowed to do that. I, I would think. Maybe. I don't know. Or we just stick with Wes and Walker and we don't have to have any legal troubles. But it's not my decision. It's Jeff's and I guess it's yours with your suggestion. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now people saying if I had a W in my name, maybe, you know, which we've we've tried witty fitty. But, Mm -hmm. you know, some of my jokes are not very witty. Um, (laughs) By the way, before we dive in, what a show. Fast paced. We've talked about. Panthers, Hornets, MLB playoffs, Charlotte FC. We got Charlotte 49ers up in a moment. Yeah, Hunter Bailey's going to be joining us next. I mean, we have had a jammed, jammed packed show. I'm exhausted. Now I know how you feel every day. We got a whole hour to go, baby. One more hour. And then you think today is exhausting for you. (laughs) Think about tomorrow. We're going on site. You, and speaking to all the guests in the world, I, I, we could have anywhere from five to eight guests tomorrow. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. It's going to be a wild show. I'm sure Frank Reich is getting ex- exhausted having to defend their belief in rookie quarterback Bryce Young. But when he met with the media yesterday, the head coach of the Panthers reinforced they thought Bryce was the best quarterback during the draft process. And they still believe that as he gets ready to take on former or or fellow rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud. I'm not going to comment about, you know, I'm more than happy to talk about our quarterback. Um, I thought the whole quarterback draft class was a really good class. I really enjoyed diving into each one of them. I thought they all were good players. If you looked at my scorecard on all of them, I thought they were all good players. We just thought Bryce was the best. I thought Bryce was the best, not taking anything away from anybody else. So we're excited to have him. I really don't want to. We talked a lot back then about what we liked about Bryce and why we chose Bryce. Um, And so I'll just leave it at that. You know, we do flashback Fridays during the summertime. 
do we need to flash back this Friday and revisit the way that the Panthers media tour conducted itself when they went to Alabama's Pro Day? Which is not the fault of Frank Reich. Not that you're saying it is, but you're right. They conducted a tour to going to each Pro Day where David Tepper and Nicole Tepper were there. And it very much so seemed like they liked Bryce Young more than the other quarterbacks. And it doesn't mean that that is evidence to suggest that Frank Reich was out on Bryce Young and instead preferred C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. But the reports were pretty damn loud about how much Frank Reich likes the bigger quarterbacks. That there were reports, remember, who was it? Tony Pauline that hopped on this show that was picked up and aggregated saying Tony Pauline is reporting that Frank Reich likes Anthony Richardson. And so when we have that on our airwaves, yeah, of course, there's all these reports out there because Anthony Richardson certainly fits the big QB MO. Same thing with CJ Stroud and real accurate. That more so fits what Stephen Holder was talking about Mm. with Frank Reich's potential preferences. This is what I get out of all this. I feel bad for Bryce. How bad of a situation is this? When we're discussing, well, the head coach never really wanted you anyway, and it's only the owner who isn't coaching you every day. I hate that. And honestly, I feel a little bit for Frank, too, because he's allowed to want who he wants. As long as he's not allowing that to coach Bryce Young any differently because he didn't want him. And I think Frank Reich's too much of a professional to allow that to happen. If you don't like his play calling, fine. If you don't think he's a smart offensive mind, fine. I don't think he would actively try to destroy Bryce Young's career or the start to it because he didn't want him at that moment. So I just feel bad for Bryce. I do feel a little bad for Frank in that. In that. But we had the reports. Remember Joe Person joined us not too long ago and said, yeah, <laughs> they were discussing not allowing the other person to know what their QB opinion was. Scott Fitterer had his opinion on his number one QB. Frank Reich had his number one opinion mm-hmm. on a QB. And as Frank Reich was thinking about it, he finally came to the decision, yeah, I, I'm rolling with Bryce. But Scott Fitter apparently had Bryce all along. So, yeah, the indecision, there's going to be differing opinions in every organization. And that shouldn't be held against Bryce, even though some fans, I think, are going to do so to justify their own opinions on not wanting Bryce Young. Well, always look at the way that Frank Wright looked at C.J. Stroud. It's like me when I go to the dollar menu at McDonald's. There was just a glisten in his eye that... You could not hide. And Josh McCown telling Stroud. They're about to play some basketball. Couldn't wait to play basketball, you know, in Charlotte. So, um, and so look, a lot. Oh, no, go ahead. My You're bad. Good. Just Big Cat Dan with some very oh, valuable yeah. information. <laughs> Sorry about the whole WWF thing. But yeah, Big Cat Dan said the WWF had to switch to the WWE because of the World Wildlife Foundation. They were going to sue. Don't get sued. Yeah, that's some great advice from Big Cat Dan. I didn't realize the... World Wildlife Foundation was the entity we had to worry about. So we do FWW. <laughs> yeah. City Wesson Walker show. That a boy, Big Cat Dan. How did I not see that coming? So look, we're a lot of talk about Bryce Young versus CJ Stroud. Well, Panthers legend, wide receiver Steve Smith, and a former enemy of mine and current enemy of Jerry Judy. He joined the Kyle Bailey show yesterday on WFNZ and said, that's what Sunday is going to be about. Although in reality, that shouldn't be the main storyline going in. It's not about Bryce versus CJ because Bryce isn't playing DB. CJ isn't playing DB. Now for the fan base and for the different fan bases and all the people with opinions, they're going to use it as who is the right pick or not. I think more than anything, you got two really young players who have a bright future who are on two different organizations, two different teams. 
And that is that that's really the bottom line, right? The strength of both of these guys are they're going to be pretty darn good football players, right? To be fair, both teams are not structurally equal based on Sunday. Let's be honest. But the part that's stressful is if the Carolina Panthers and Bryce Young don't fare very well, it's going to be a little bit of complaining. It's going to be, this is the wrong guy. It's going to be loud. Let's be honest. It's going to be really loud. Yes. (sighs) Why are you sad? What's that sigh mean for you, Fitty? Because I mean, like, it, it's just the nature. I mean, like, if 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 Bryce Young was even one in five, two and four, would we be examining this game as Bryce versus CJ? I don't know, but because CJ's what they're three and three, Bryce is zero and five as a starter. CJ had the longest streak without throwing a pick to start the, uh, the to start an NFL career. Like, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna overexamine this thing and. I mean, Smitty's right. Like they're not facing against each other, even though they are. And it just sucks because, like, when we when we looked at this game back in the when we got the schedule, and this is the Hall of Honor game. We're honoring Pep and Moose. This was like homecoming in, in college football. And now we're sitting here going to be wondering for three hours, are we going to say, man, did we get it wrong? No one thought this was coming, man. No, not not like this. Not the difference in their starts. In fact, we thought Bryce Young was set up better for success with the team around him, but it turns out that C.J. Stroud is better suited for success. Even if we didn't think that coming into the season, it doesn't mean it's not true now. This was always going to be the case. This is why people circled this matchup when looking at the schedule preseason. Of course everyone's going to be excited about the first two picks in the NFL draft going against one another. Of course, everyone is going to be excited about quarterback number one and Bryce going against quarterback number two. We spent a whole offseason debating who should be the right choice. So how in the world would it be any about anything other than C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young? I'm not saying that they're going against each other on the football field. I, I definitely know they're not. But perception is reality here. Mm-hmm. And perception is C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young. And the reality is that is going to be the leading story. Whatever we see. It's going to be, how did Bryce compare to C.J. Stroud and vice versa once we get done with this game? And I'm not saying it's fair to either one of them, but that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to, if, if the Houston Texans roll over the Carolina Panthers and the Panthers continue to lose, and let's say they even lose badly. Let's say C.J. Stroud goes for 300 and a couple tuds and Bryce Young has one touchdown, a couple interceptions, whatever is a bad stat line. We're going to get the text line blowing up saying we made the wrong pick. We got it right now. Oh, Monday's going to be a hell show. We got it right now. So (laughs) I'm just telling you, I look, and I don't want that to happen. And I'm not going to use that as evidence to suggest that the Panthers picked the wrong QB. Okay. It's not going to look like a great start, but I'm not going to use that as evidence. We got to see a lot better offensive line. We have to see interior protection. That is much better than what it has been to this point in the season. And we got to see a number one wide receiver who as much as he's been impressive, it can't just be Adam Thielen all the time. There's not another weapon you worry about in the passing game. Once I get past that, and Bryce Young struggles, then I'll start to worry about the franchise QB. In a move that is going to move the the over-under total for the Charlotte Hornets significantly, which was that the Hornets have brought back veteran guard Ish Smith to add much-needed backcourt depth behind LaMelo Ball. Well, we had Terrence Oglesby on just about 45 minutes ago or so, and he offered his opinion of a former opponent of his being Mm -hmm. back in Charlotte. 
I like the addition that Ish is coming back because after uh, Nilakino went down, I, I think they, they needed a little bit behind Lamelo, and uh, I think it works all the way around. Walker, I don't know about you. The the over under total was set at thirty one and a half. To me, this should be forty five and a half. I think we should be dreaming about the Eastern Conference Finals. How excited are you? to have Ish Smith back in the purple and teal. Oh, the approval rating on Twitter is through the roof. There is not a <laughs> Hornets fan out there that does not like this move. Everybody is with it. Of course, he played for the Hornets in the 2021-22 season. He was a part of the trade alongside Vernon Carey to get Montrez Harrell. By the way, also in the news, I believe got cut from Philadelphia just yesterday. So they go and they get Montrez Harrell after trading Ish Smith alongside Vernon Carey. He goes to Denver, Ish Smith does last season, and he wins a championship. So you're telling me that we get still old Ish Smith, except now he has a ring? Sign me up. Sign me up. And I saw Doug Branson tweet this. I don't know if he was joking because he is one to be a jokester. But he was saying he was listening to Ish Smith on Sirius XM Radio. And he said he got to about the R, the second R in retire. R-E-I-R-E-T-I. Wait, nope, I'm not retired. I'm coming back. The Hornets called, and now I'm suiting up once again. So it's great bringing him back home. We all know about his ties here to the state of North Carolina. Grown up, has a great relationship with LaMelo Ball, very Isaiah Thomas-esque when we had that conversation about whether to bring back IT. It kind of feels the DSJ void that I kind of complained about in the offseason. Offensively, I think you're going to get a facilitator. Defensively, you're still going to be hurting, but offensively, I think you're getting a facilitator there. So um, glad to see him come back, of course, with uh, the ACC nostalgia that we got to experience with Terrence Oglesby as well. You know, he, he, he mentioned the one thing he's concerned about with this Hornets team is, is their bench unit. And I thought it was a perfect opportunity for you to ask him about Kelly Oubre not being brought back. <laughs> There's, I'm surprised there, you weren't in my ear, <laughs> not over the airwaves. Said, "Ask about Kelly. Ask about Kelly." I just want you to be. I just want you to tell me when the game, when the day comes, like December 12th, Hornets lose a game where the bench is non-productive, and Kelly goes like nine of eleven, seven be, of eight from three. It could be tomorrow night. <laughs> oh, it, you don't want that to happen because we're gonna no, be I there. I'm gonna be sitting there with you. Mm-hmm. I, you'd rather me harass you about your shirt apparel than Kelly Oubre not being not being a Hornet. I'm just going to leave for the postgame show early. It's going to dip out. It's going to be the second quarter. Sorry. Got to get ready for the postgame show. Walker, we have like an hour left. Nope. It's a long prep time for me, buddy. I got to move on. I can't hear you talk about Kelly Oubre. That'll do it for the live wire with one Josh Fitty Marlowe. We got to go to break. We got to welcome yet another guest. It's a busy day on Wesson Walker. How about Hunter Bailey hopping on to talk about the Charlotte 49ers first win in conference over ECU, 10 to 7. Let's get the details coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. How about talking a Charlotte 49ers win over ECU? 10-7 win. Thrilling, Fitty. It was thrilling watching all the offense that we got over the weekend. And yet I still see a Walker male not wearing a tank top and not smoking a cigar. Friday. Friday. Friday at 730. I got to bring the cigar. I got to bring the cutoff. 
I don't even know what the weather is going to be like. It's supposed to be chilly. I think there's a cold front moving ah, in. I'm a little bit of a wimp, to be it, honest with you. It's that defense. I know. It is that defense. Let's talk more about it with Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer and the Charlotte Post. He covers a couple things for a couple of different newspapers here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Hunter, I realize that also uh, the curse is over. Charlotte finally won a road game that you traveled for. So do you take responsibility for the other road games that Charlotte lost in the past? I do not. Uh, that's on them. But who would have thought, <laughs> who would have thought, man, not me. I, it took me, it took me until well after the game to realize that the curse was over, but it's a new day here in Charlotte athletics. And my journalism career, man, we are back. Oh, I'm excited. Thank God. I'm so excited that the curse is over. Even if it only took 10 points to win, they did get the victory. Now, one thing that you pointed out with some of the observations you had on Twitter, at Hunter underscore Bailey 45, the second bullet point was that Mike Hill, athletic director, he was fired up. He and Biff Pogey shared a moment after the game. So, yeah, of course it's a big old win because it's the first conference win since changing conferences from last year. But also, we got to remember, Charlotte fans, Mike Hill initially was going to hire Mike Houston if Mike Houston didn't just blow it up in a report, a weird, like on the sideline of a practice field or whatever. And then Mike Hill is not one to be blown up like that, says, nope, we're going to move on to Will Healy. Getting that win over Mike Houston had to play a part in this. So for me, it, does that add into the how big this win was, Hunter, over ECU and getting their first win in conference? I think it would depend who you ask. You know, Mike Hill would shoot it down if you asked him sure. straight up. But I think, of course, it does, man. I mean, there's a little bit of pirating there with Mike Houston going to the Pirates, kind of leaking that information. And then, I mean, Mike Hill even put a statement out in that process, which he said is not something he would normally do. Obviously, Charlotte hires Will Healy. Four or five years go by, and here we are with, with Biff Pogey leading Charlotte to the win there. I think it, I think it makes the win even sweeter uh, but them sharing the moment, it, it was good to see. It was uh, obviously there's been some tough press conferences. You lose five games in a row. A lot's going on with that. So to get that win, the first one of the series, I think it was huge for the team and the and the program, kind of moving forward. Well, in in this, when we we're talking about some of the comments, even from Biff Pogey after that win, he did drop in there amongst you know or amidst I should say all the emotion that was going on with the first win. He told us that Jalen Jones is going to be the quarterback that they settle on. After they decided to go with Trexler Ivy the week prior, scoring zero points, now here you are with a 10 points. Not a lot, but they're rolling with Jalen Jones. It, do you expect that to be true the rest of the way here, Hunter? And do you think it's a good idea? I think so. I think he does give them the best option or best offensive option. Best Pogey called him an eraser. And I mean, he's their most athletic player, especially with Darrell Robinson out for the season. And after the way that Trexler Ivy played on homecoming against Navy, three turnovers, really struggled to get anything going, zero points. I think Jalen is your best option. And then how you kind of run with that option game, RPOs, getting the tight ends involved in the screen game, that's, that's their game. And by no means is it going to be pretty. I think they're averaging 13 points a game, which is bottom three in the country. Like I say, no means is going to be pretty, but you got to do what you've been doing. Hang your hat on the defensive side of the ball and just do enough. Protect the ball, which has been the biggest issue. They've got five turnovers in the past three games. The margin margin for error is thin, man. But if they they continue to run with Jones, I mean, he just ran for 127 yards, which tied ECU's yardage total. 
uh, for the game. So I think they, they roll with that and see, see what it looks like against Florida Atlantic Friday night. You mentioned a lot of painful press conferences. How was today's press conference in tone and what were a couple of the main takeaways? I think it's that spot where when you win a game, it's easier to, to be tough on your guys rather than losing five straight because you don't want to lose the locker room. You don't want to just break them down because really this is just a bunch of 18 to 22 year old guys and coming off of that win, obviously a lot of excitement, but you know, the task at hand is they're two and five. He said it, we haven't done anything. We've done absolutely nothing. We're two and five. We're not five and two. And you know, you got to win four or five to get to that bowl game. And I mean, I've talked to you about it. You could play the optimism card like 2019. They're in the same exact scenario two and five of the first year head coach as they are right now. I think the competition on this slate is a little tougher with FAU and Memphis still to come to Charlotte, Uh, but we'll see. I think this is kind of the swing game for the season, right? If you can get this win, there are definitely some more winnable games with Rice, Tulsa, and USF on the back end of this, but this here, this is a big game for Charlotte and a big spot. Yeah. How do you think they can get it done here? Like what, what, what kind of matchup are we watching with this upcoming opponent and Charlotte? So FAU's quarterback, I believe it's Daniel Richardson, has thrown an interception in five straight games, including two picks against UTSA at home last week. He's good for at least one to two turnover-worthy plays a game, and Charlotte's got to take advantage of that. The defense has been excellent, holding ECU to just 127 yards, which is literally the best ever in 49er history. The only thing that they are not doing on defense right now is taking the ball away. And you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to give your offense some of these short fields because, as we've seen, Charlotte's offense is very stagnant. They're terrible on third downs, literally the worst in the country. So whether it's special teams touchdowns, defensive touchdowns, or takeaways, that side of the ball is going to have to do a lot to make sure that the offense is put in good situations to score when they get a chance to take advantage of it. So, Hunter, how big of an atmosphere do you expect Friday, I believe, 7.30 kickoff? It's going to be on ESPN, too. I'm going to be there. I'm excited as hell for it. You're right. It it does feel like a big old swing game. Do you expect the atmosphere to be rocking over there at JRS? I would think so, man. I mean, the last time we saw a home game here, it was the standing room only crowd for homecoming. It's like Halloween. So, I mean, if everyone's dressing up, I'll wear like my Mr. Incredible costume. You can rock the cutoff. I think we could have some fun, man. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. And by the way, people are telling me on the text line that it's going to be actually pretty warm on Friday. So maybe the cutoff is coming out. Maybe I'd show the noodle arms and all over there at Jerry Richardson Stadium. Last thing, I did want to give a shout out to Demetrius Knight, who was named the conference player, defensive player of the week. Nine total tackles, two tackles for loss, two pass breakups. I know you tweeted out the pro football focus grades. They were excellent as well. Hunter, how much of a difference can he make the rest of the season? Demetrius Knight is a problem. He's got the team's only pick six in week two against Maryland. Uh, and he almost had a game selling interception against ECU on Saturday. He, he played the most snaps he's played of the season. I think it was 46. And him and the Kai Hill Green at the linebacker position are some of the best linebackers this program has seen. And both of them have a chance to play at the next level. I think Demetrius, I mean, he's very personable off the field. He's a super nice guy. And I think the way he's growing into this leadership role with the team is, is excellent to see because he was mainly just a special teams guy at Georgia Tech, and now he's got a couple more seasons to kind of grow into this role at Charlotte.
You're not going to find better work, folks, on the Charlotte 49ers, better coverage than Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer. You can find him on Twitter and keep up to date on the 49ers at Hunter underscore Bailey 45. I expect no different from the Charlotte Hornets, who is starting his first season covering that team this year. So it should be a lot of fun. We'll see him out and about quite a bit. Hunter, we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thanks, guys. That was Hunter Bailey on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. So I'm excited as hell for this kick uh, at night again on Friday. Cutoff could be coming out with it being warm, so that'll be nice. Uh, real quickly, what do you think that win did for Charlotte 49ers football here, Fitty? And whew, if you went against FAU, Hunter really put it into perspective about how this was the same scenario they found themselves in with Will Healy on their bowl eligible season. So there is enough games to do it. Can the defense hold up enough? Can they score enough points? Which is the the big wild card here. Is there any way they can score enough points for you to feel good about Biff Pogey's first season here in Charlotte? I, I mean, the, the first thing that what last Saturday did was it finally gave them on-field momentum. Like they, They've had a lot of momentum off the field because Biff Pogey talked the talk. And for the most part, defensively, they had, they had a couple bad games there in the first month. They've really backed it up. They've, they now know what they got to do to win football games. And it's not pretty like, uh, you, you know, kind of like on Sunday, we're not watching pretty football. It's not going to be pretty on Saturdays, but it's a winning formula. And that's all that matters. And if they can find a way behind what I think was, should still be a lively crowd on Friday night with you out there uh, with the noodle arms out and everything, yep. smoking the cigar, if they can find <laughs> a way to get that win at home, you can start to see the path to a bowl game. And if, if that happens, how do you not define year one of the Biff Pogey era success, especially after how much he talked in the preseason? What if they're just shy of a bowl game? So if they win just a couple more, they get to five. Mm-hmm. You know, some people would argue that it's too easy to make a bowl game anyway. Yeah. So if you only win five games, you just miss out, but it is barely then would we consider that a success with everything Biff Pogey was talking about? If you compare it to last year, then hell yeah, it is. Especially with the offense is horrible. The offense wasn't very good last season with the worst defense in all of college football. We really do have a very good defense in Charlotte right now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would, it's close to great. They're, they give up a few too many big plays. You keeping ECU to a touchdown is impressive, but also not really because it's ECU. So yeah, ECU is not going to be scoring. They're not going to be lighting the scoreboard up by any stretch of the imagination, but they've taken care of business in a lot of other ways outside of a few big plays here and there. So we can depend on them for the most part. It does feel like we have an identity. And if you can shore up the offensive line, you can get a quarterback that's a little more accurate than Jalen Jones. You don't have to pick the thrower or the runner. You can find somebody that is in the middle of that Venn diagram. Then, man, hopefully this is a team that you feel a lot better about heading into next season. I mean, if they go five and seven, year one with a new head coach, year one in a new conference in the American, which is an upgrade from playing in the Conference USA, even though it's a losing season, how do you say it wasn't a success? And you know what it does is 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 you you start to see the vision you start to see the foundation being laid for what he envisions for his program to look like and he had a lot of success in the portal you get to five and seven now it gets you're a little bit more attractive to come to maybe people are willing to donate a little bit more money because you are closer to being a winning program and so you know it it, it definitely went live up to as much as he talked but you could definitely say that they, they they took the step they needed to take as a program under a first-time head coach.
I had the question for both you and Wes last week. What coach was under the most fire coming into last weekend's games? Was it Biff Pogey? Was it Mike Houston? Or was it Sean Clark? Mm -hmm. There's only one coach out of those three who won their game. And it was Biff Pogey over said Mike Houston. The other coach in question, Sean Clark, did not win their game against Old Dominion. They lost 28-21. to Old Dominion scores in the fourth quarter, two-point conversion to bring them within a touchdown distance of App State. But they score the touchdown, they get the two-point conversion in the fourth quarter, and they end up winning that game. So where are we on Sean Clark right now? And if you're App State, feel free to text us, 704-570-9610. Not a good look, especially for a guy that does have all of this pressure. And now here we are talking about Southern Miss, who you need to win against. That is a really bad football team. But ODU was so important because it provided you a cushion, at least against a team that was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Maybe a little bit more even playing field. Now you have Marshall, Georgia State, James Madison, ranked James Madison, okay, in James Madison, or on their home field, and then you have Georgia Southern, your rival, coming to town. Schedule gets hard, Fitty, and you did not provide yourself with any foundation except for the three wins that you have. You know, he joined Kyle Bailey back over the summer and acknowledged like six, like six, like six and six isn't good enough. It's good enough for a lot of group of five schools, but... They've got high expectations in Boone, and, and rightfully so. Like you, you win at Texas A&M, a top 10 SEC school a year ago. You play North Carolina back-to-back years, and you took them to the wire, losing two classics. And then you're losing some of these games, you know, in, in, in your conference that App State shouldn't lose. And I think that's going to be the thing that really does them in because I don't think they're going to be afraid to move on from one of their own. Remember the messaging coming out of the mountain when Eli Drinkwitz left and went to Missouri. They we're bringing in one of our own. We're bringing in one of our guys that understands what it, how important this program is. And that program means a lot to a lot of people. But none of that matters if you don't win. And there's a standard there, and it's fair to say so far Sean Clark hasn't met the standard. And barring a late-season surge – you're going to see an opening that I don't think we saw was was going to happen when he first got hired a I few mean, years ago. Fiddy, I'm looking at the schedule, and it is daunting, right? Like, so you have Southern Miss. Southern Miss is 1-6. They're 0-4 in conference, so that should be a win. you got to win that one, or he might not survive after that. So let's just go ahead and say you get the win against Southern Miss. Then you have, as I mentioned, Marshall, Georgia State, James Madison, Georgia Southern. If you look at every one of those teams' record, Marshall's 4-3. and three, so not the greatest of records. They did start out four and zero. They lost their last three. One was to NC State, but the other two were to teams that you still have on the slate in Georgia State and James Madison. Speaking of Georgia State, Georgia State only lost one game. Georgia Southern's lost two mm-hmm. so far. I mean, it is a gauntlet that they got to run through, and some of these games are on the road that are real tough. So yeah, nine one zero. Got some App State fans texting in. It's been an infuriating two seasons. Chub in a tub. I'm out on Clark, but his buyout is like three million before December fifteenth. After that, it drops to one million. Uh, look, <laughs> so three million in buyouts. <laughs> you know, to App State is a lot of money, but you see some of the other schools where they buy out yeah. coaches. Like Gus Malzahn's buyout was like twenty four million, and they Ooh. said back your back. Yeah, I mean, and App State's <laughs> good enough to where they'll probably do it. Uh, at least I think I don't know. Seven oh four said Clark needs to be gone. They'll miss a bowl game. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of leeway here. There's not many Mountaineer fans telling you, oh, wait, just let him figure it out because he's been there long enough. 
And the fact that the season is going the way it is, now people are officially out. I mean, I haven't seen anything on the other side saying, hey, just wait a little bit. He'll figure it out. There's none of that. I mean, it's all pressure ramped up, amped up, I should say, 100 degrees. So it's it's not great for Sean Clark and the App State football program. Let's move on. One more segment to go. Weston Walker, Josh Fitty Marlowe filling in on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Winding down on a Wes and Fiddy edition, or a Walker and Fiddy edition. God, man. Does it go to Fiddy and Walker, I guess? I think that's what you would want. I was just trying to figure out the order of how it would sound the best. But you called yourself Wes. Yeah, that's I know. That's the bigger issue. Yeah, I did. Wes Bryan not here today, if you couldn't tell. He's over at ACC Women's Tip-Off. Holding it down, we got to talk to him in the 12 o'clock hour. We'll put that interview on the website, WFNZ.com. We'll be out there for ACC Men's Tip-Off tomorrow. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's your favorite time of the year, Fiddy. It's your favorite event of the year, Mm -hmm. and you're going to get a lot of airtime. We're going to have the chance to talk to a ton of guests. So as of right now, I don't know if the schedule is going to hold up, but as of right now, we are scheduled to speak to Tony Bennett, first and foremost. We have Tyrese Proctor, John Shire, Hubert Davis, Armando Baycott, Mike Young, Kevin Keats, Steve Forbes, maybe even Brad Brownell. Um, I mean, basically, we're talking to everybody associated with ACC basketball. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all those people. It would be great, but it's going to be really tough. How excited are you? So not talking to Hubert Davis or Armando Baycott. You can't discuss those guys. Yeah. Who would you most like to talk to at ACC tip-off tomorrow? We're going to have our chance of a lot. So. Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic question. I, although, I know you asked me not Hubert Davis, not Armando Baycott. I am ex- I am nervous or excited to see, can I make Hubert Davis awkwardly laugh for 30 seconds for a second straight year? When I asked just a bland question and he just, remember that last year where he Do laughed? Do you have the soundbite? You used to have it. I don't know if I, it's probably somewhere <laughs> because I asked just the blandest question. It was like a rotation question. Mm-hmm. And my man just started laughing. I guess he knew right then and there, I don't have a rotation. <laughs> I should have known then, God, this ain't going to go well. Yeah, I mean, I realized it earlier, but I should have realized it then, too, if he laughed at a rotation. Question. I mean, it's still, you know, as much as, you know, I, I, I'm i not a Duke guy by the world, but, I mean, John Shire, like, you know, now you're going to get the pressure of the Duke job. It's year two. You've got a preseason top two team. You're going to be the heavy. You're going to be the preseason favorite to to win the ACC. You're a a pick to make the Final Four. I want to know how he's handling all that because, you know, Jay Billis said it. Replacing Coach K might be the toughest replacement job in the history of sports. And we're definitely going to find out this year if John Shire is up to the task. So Steve Forbes is always fun to talk to. Fun Just, guy. Yeah, because he's a, a real personality. At, when you discuss their chances of making the ACC tournament, they lose to Miami last year. There's no shame in that, but it was a tough loss. Remember, that was 74-72. I believe, didn't Tyree Appleby hit a crazy shot at the end to make that close? And so, right. so Wake Forest doesn't move on. But Steve Forbes, as much as we love him, I do. I, I don't know. I think Wes likes him quite a bit. But you got to get to the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah. It would be nice. And this is the problem. He's great 
at getting talent in the transfer portal. Problem with that is that guys will leave after you get them if they're too old, like a Tyree Appleby, who had been playing basketball for a long time, having played a couple of years in Florida. So Steve Forbes would be that guy. Who do you want to listen to if you're a listener here? 704-570-9610. Who are some of those players, some of those coaches that you would most like to hear from? Tyrese Proctor will be interesting, too, because Terrence Oglesby wasn't wrong when he mentioned earlier how he was playing as as well as any other guard in the country, especially in the NCAA tournament. He gave me Tyus Jones vibe from that 15 run when they went to the Final Four. Yeah, man. He was very good. And uh, I thought Tyrese would be gone. But you get a couple guys coming back in Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor. And so the fact that both of those guys are back and you have new talent coming in, can John Shire find a way to get it done in his second season with Duke? You certainly, it, there's not a lot holding him back unless you just don't believe in John Shire. And I don't think he showed anything like that his first year at Duke. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think, and I said this very much throughout the year last year, you take away the tournament run that Hubert Davis put together year one. John Shire from November through March was more impressive as a first-time head coach, and I thought Hubert Davis was. And that's a hard thing to say as a Carolina guy, but I thought he passed virtually every test. You know, they lost to Tennessee in a, in a physical second-round game of the NCAA tournament um, uh, last year um, in, in a game where they weren't as healthy as they wanted to be because they just got beaten up by the Vols. But, you, you know, I think I think he's a guy that's primed and ready. He understands what Duke basketball means. He understands the pressure of the job. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And I, I, I think Kevin Keats, you know, we can't take a lot out of these secret scrimmages. But I got some reports saying they got they got busted by Georgia and Charlotte over the weekend in a game that DJ Burns did not participate in. They were a fun team a year ago. They made the tournament. They lost in the first round. I've always said I'd love for them to get back to where they used to be competing year in, year out, because it makes the ACC better. I wonder if Kevin Keats has stay in power as state's head coach. I don't. I mean, if they don't make it again, since you barely made it last year, if they don't make it this season, then I don't think so. I mean, I don't. I would imagine NC State wants some stability within the basketball program. Tony Bennett, too. Look, man, like you're talking about a, a Virginia team that had to reload. I remember comparing Virginia's team last year to the team that went 23 and 12, 2010, or 22 and 10 in 11-12 and 2012-2013. Then you have those single-digit loss teams hit you three times in a row, right? From 2013 to 2015. You're talking about 30 win seasons. Yeah. But it did take a couple of borderline teams in order to get there. They got there last year at 25 and eight. Good season. Awful, awful loss in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And this is what Virginia is known for now. All time show moment. Y'all out at the uh, Carolina Ale House. That's right. That's right. It happened. <laughs> Kihei Clark, after making the best pass in Virginia basketball history, made the worst one in Virginia basketball history, and Furman was moving on. And so now, after you have built you built the 21 and 14 season to 25 and 8, do you still continue that? What do you mm-hmm. expect from Virginia this year after an eight loss season last year? I, 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 the hater in me wants to say they're going to get back to what they probably should be, which is like a 20 and 10, 23 and 12 type of program. Tony Bennett's just too damn good, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think you know. Look, they they lost as a as a as a number one seed. They came back the next year, won a national championship. Not saying they're going to win a national title, 
They're going to be fueled by the way they exited the tournament in a game that they they simply shouldn't have lost, and they lost so uh, in, in in an embarrassing way. So I think they're going to be good. They're they're tough as hell to play against because they play a brand of basketball that should be deemed illegal. But you know they're they're not going anywhere. You don't do what he's done at Virginia. And it just completely goes away because it's too hard of a program to win that consistently at. No, it's a good point. If there's anybody that can deal with the pain of an awful loss the season prior, it's that Virginia team. It's Tony Bennett, who's already gone through the most pain you can as a one seed losing to 16 and then winning the championship the next year, surviving every step of the way. That'll do it for Wesson Walker. Thanks to Josh Fitty Marlowe for being the co-host on this episode. He's going to do it again tomorrow. We'll be out at the Hilton for ACC men's tip-off, talking to all of the important ACC basketball figures. If you play or coach in the ACC, odds are we're going to be talking to you. Should be a lot of fun. Wes Bryant also going to be back out there with us on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep it right here for the Kyle Bailey Show alongside Smoke Ludwig.